Welcome to the Judge John Hodgman podcast. I'm bailiff Jesse Thorne. We're in chambers this week to clear the docket. And with me, as always, is the judgest with the mostest, <laughs> Judge John Hodgman. The judgest with the mudgest. Yeah. Well, you know, either way, we could have gone judgeost with the jogest, the joge with the most. The <laughs> Judge John Judgman is the most common mispronunciation of the uh, admittedly hard to pronounce show title with us as always judgman my friend houseman judge john hodgman hello my friend bailiff jesse thorne we are uh, as usual talking to each other through the miracle of technology very socially distanced across an entire continent you are in los angeles this time i am in the state of maine uh, broadcasting to you from the, uh, the the sanitized studios of WERU in Orland, Maine. That's 88.9.9 in Blue Hill, 99.9 in Bangor, and all over the world at WERU.org. Across the glass from me is our friend, summertime producer, Joel Mann. Hey, Judge. Yep, Joel. Has, okay, <laughs> easy, Joel. Don't Don't talk, you know, catch your breath for a second. Don't bring out your signature catchphrase, yup, already. <laughs> Got to save it for a key time. Joel, Joel, are you the, you're the, you're the program director here? Program and operations. Program, P, P and ops. Yeah. Yeah. Right. And, that's why we um, call him pops. That's, that's why right. we call him pops. Uh, but I'm going to, I'm going to tell you, Jesse, I'm like, we just slated using a website that, uh, to, to coordinate our time across this continent to make sure that Jennifer Marmer, uh, our super producer, can uh, mix our dulcet tones together in the proper order. And so we slate, according to time, this website that gives us the correct time. And this website is telling me my clock is 0.4 seconds behind. Devastating news. Jesse Thorne, uh, what, what, what other injustices besides my clock being 0.4 seconds slow can we resolve here? We can do our small part to resolve some small injustice here. What, what, what do we got on the docket? Here's something from Jessica. She says, my husband is obsessed with electric vehicles and free charging. We recently attempted to go camping only to find out the campsite had been temporarily closed. Instead of staying at a motel... We spent the night in an empty hospital parking lot because there was a free charger for our car. My husband also refuses to run the dry cycle on the dishwasher in order to save energy. We dream of building or buying a home soon, but while I look at school districts, he needs solar roofs or ICF builds. I don't know what an ICF build is. You keep reading. I'll look it up. I seek an order that we use a gas vehicle on trips that are longer than 10 hours, so charging stations are not the main factor in our planning. I would also like to use the dry cycle or have him towel dry all the dishes. So an ICF building is a building that is constructed out of ICFs, insulated concrete forms. I thought it stood for ice cream foams. That would have been delicious. Yeah, but you, but you've, you have molecular gastronomy on the brain. <laughs> this guy wanted to build his house out of ice cream foam. Uh, white chocolate flavored, please. 
No, it's uh, uh, blocks of polystyrene foam with space in between to pour a concrete wall. So your concrete is a very, uh, I keep, it, it's like the TLT. It keeps the hot, hot and the cool, cool. Got it. That's a very, very old reference sure. to a long discontinued McDonald's sandwich. Is it like Brill Cream? Will a little dab do you? Yeah, that's right. If you if you can read this, you'd be home now. You ever have a McDLT, Joel? No. No. All right. Check it out. Jason Alexander from Seinfeld, who you don't think of as a famous song and dance man, did the ad for the McDLT in, I got to say, 1986 or so. It's on YouTube. And it's all like... Song and dance, musical patter, music man style from Jason Alexander as though he's as though he's come to town to sell this town on his new invention. A styrofoam box that keeps the cold part of the burger cold and the hot part of the burger hot. And just like in the music man, everyone's buying. <laughs> anyway, let's talk about Jessica and her husband. First of all, they should go back and listen to episode 443, Daylight Savings Crime similar husband and wife where the husband in this case joshua had put up some solar panels and became really really into reducing their energy output and maybe being negative energy like producing more energy than they than they spent and also had a drying issue he didn't want to use the clothes dryer so he wanted to dry all his clothes on a rack in the basement and we're like go for it uh, in this case, though, I, I'm concerned the husband might might be, I think, turning your vacation into an impromptu hospital parking lot camp out is maybe going too far. What do you think, Jesse? Yeah, I don't know if a hospital parking lot is where I would want to spend any voluntary overnight. Yeah, I'm trying to think of where, a, like, what place with a free charger for a car would be more depressing. I mean, like, honestly, if you gave me a choice between spending the night in a hospital parking lot and spending the night in the parking lot of a gentleman's entertainment venue, uh huh, I think I might choose the latter. <laughs> Just yeah, like, okay, yeah, yeah. On the scale I, I, of sad places to sleep. <laughs> that are packed with Tesla chargers, a yeah. gentleman's nightclub. <laughs> well, I live in Los Angeles, John. <laughs> That's true. I don't know. I don't know. I don't know what it's like. I've never been. I've Where do you been. think Robert Downey Jr. spent the night? How dare you? How you're talking about Tony Stark, inventor of time travel, also Doctor Doolittle. What if Robert Downey Jr. loves this podcast and now he's sad? Oh well, <laughs> sorry, RDJ. You're a very talented man. Yeah, I mean, I think Jessica's husband's heart is in the right place, uh, but uh, th- that's a that's a a bad outcome for what was going to be a fun camping trip. They should they should have just charged up and gone home, I think, or else they couldn't have. So Jessica wants that I order that they use a gas vehicle on trips that are longer than ten hours. Um, I don't know. I don't know if Jessica's husband's going to be okay with that, and I I applaud the fact that he is being thrifty and, and conservation-minded. I think what's, what's lacking here is a certain amount of planning. Don't, you should find out if that campsite's going to be open before you drive your, your spark or whatever and get stuck in a hospital parking lot all night. And one of the things that I've learned during 
the time of COVID-19, it's a real, I, I don't know if you've noticed this, Jesse, but like there is zero information online uh, about when and what is open that is trustworthy. You have to, yeah. you have to go back in time and call places and say, do I, do I need a prescription in order to get a COVID test at your clinic or is your campsite going to be open? Uh, and similarly, you know, the, Jessica and her husband could go farther than 10 hours with just a little advance planning about where the charging stations are so you don't get stuck in a, in a parking lot. I think this is a matter of planning as much as it is about conservation. Now, as, as far as drying the dishes... Jesse Thorne, do you have a, a dishwasher, an, an, a dish, an electric dishwasher? I do. Not to brag, but it's portable, baby. What are you talking about? It's portable. <laughs> well, my kitchen doesn't have a place to put a dishwasher. Uh, okay. It does, have, it does have a place where the kitchen door would open, uh, <laughs> but we decided to put a portable dishwasher there uh, rather than ever open the kitchen door. So... <laughs> Uh, our our dishwasher is of the type that is roughly the size of a built-in dishwasher, maybe a little smaller, uh, but rolls right. around our kitchen on wheels and attaches with a hose to our kitchen faucet. So you could take it with you on a camping trip, say, in a hospital parking lot if you need it. Oh, we take it with us everywhere. I mean, not just camping trips. We're going downtown to the library. We take it with us because you never know oh, yeah. when you're going to soil dishes. Yeah. And also those books are dirty. Oh, hose them down. That's what I say. Wow, a portable dishwasher. Does it have a dryer cycle on it? It does. Yeah, it has a. It, it has like a both a, a speedy dry and a, like an econo dry. I think. Yeah, I. I mean, I've our dishwasher is broken, and it's and it's proved a little difficult to get it fixed because it's not a high priority for anyone right now yeah. to have a. <laughs> to come out and fix our dishwasher or for us to have a functioning dishwasher. Cause what I've learned and realized is it's not that hard to just wash uh, your dishes as you go. And it's rather uh, simple to let them dry for a few minutes and then wipe off excess moisture and put them away. So I would say that uh, again, Jessica's husband is being thoughtful and conservation minded by not wasting the energy on that drying cycle, especially since in a lot of dishwashers, it's it's not very effective, and there's a, l a lot of residue left over. I have no problem with him, you know, running the dishwasher and then opening it and letting the letting the dishes air dry by bringing out the racks, or towel drying all the dishes and putting them away. But I do think that it is his responsibility to make sure they're dry, and to put them away because that's his thing. I see no real, I mean, in terms of his everyday practice, I see no real. Uh, misdemeanor here other than poor planning uh, I'm not going to find in favor of Jessica entirely uh, with a little bit better planning I think they can use their electric vehicle to go far and wide especially uh, when and if it is safer to do so but I do order her husband to dry the dishes and even then I'm not sure that justice has been served for the night that he made Jessica sleep in a electric vehicle in a hospital parking lot so I'm going to order as punishment, as damages, that Jessica's husband has to go spend the night alone in the car 
in the only parking lot that I can think of that is more depressing and terrifying than a hospital parking lot is to spend the night alone in a car in the parking lot of an abandoned hospital. Good luck sleeping, Jessica's husband. Here's something from Jared. My longtime girlfriend, Emma, uses regular office scissors to cut food instead of a knife. This includes foods with layers and sauce, like pizza or sandwiches. We have several perfectly good pizza cutters and knives. I need you to make her stop because our scissors are gross. I have to say, my first instinct here is that this is an extraordinary innovation. Uh, yeah. Do you keep scissors in your kitchen? Do you have a pair of kitchen shears, Jesse? I have kitchen shears and paper scissors in my, in my kitchen. And what do you use them for, respectively? I use kitchen shears primarily for food-specific tasks, like um, cutting up a chicken. Right. Um, I use the paper scissors for opening packaging and also just as a place to keep paper scissors that I need for household tasks. Right, right. You got that. It's, it's that combo culinary office supply station. In your exactly in your, right, that makes sense. But in every kitchen, welcome to the Shears Club, Jared. Maybe you don't know what Emma is doing. You say she's using regular office scissors, and I'm gonna take you at your word. But the use of scissors in the kitchen is not only tremendously common, but great. You use it. You know what? Uh, I I like to use uh, scissors for is uh, cutting up chives, you know, just snip, 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 sure. right over a plate of uh, scrambled eggs. And as far as your thing about pizza going, first of all, I have two issues. One, you say we have several perfectly good pizza cutters. That's a lie. You may have several, but the reason you do is none of them is very good. You ever use a roller pizza cutter, Jesse, like they have in the pizza shop and the pizza pie parlor in New York City, for example? Yeah, but you know what? I, I recently watched a YouTube video by friend of Max Fun, Adam Ragusia, uh, who's yeah. become a big YouTube cooking star. And, yeah. and on merit, he's wonderful at it. And Adam has a special way of making pizza that he does. And then at the end, he says... Don't bother with the roller thing. It's annoying. Just use a knife. Yeah. And I used a knife and I was like, yeah, this is great. Yeah. It's the, the, roller, the roller things are, are a great way to make the crust flat and to not cut the pizza all the way through. Anyone who's yeah. ever gotten a, a pizza pie delivered to your door or, or from, a, from a takeout situation, you get it home, you're still, you got to recut all those slices. Because those roller things are bad. Perfectly good. Not You don't have a single perfectly good pizza cutter, I tell you, Jared. Except for one thing. One tool. Scissors. Now, I agree with you, Jared, that Emma should have dedicated culinary scissors. We're calling them kitchen shears. You don't need any special equipment. A good pair of scissors is fine. Kitchen shears offer you a little extra heft in the handle department, I guess. But you don't want to be mixing, cross-contaminating your kitchen scissors with your opening of packages. Separate scissors. But one thing I saw 
the very last day we were allowed to travel, just as I was leaving the city of Venice, Italy. Now, Venice is not known for its pizza. In fact, in general, its food is considered to be fairly pedestrian compared to the rest of Italy. But they have it there. And I walked by a big pizza parlor, and there's women, there are all these pizzas, and there are these women just cutting them up with, with shears. I was so excited, I'd, I'd drop my jaw right into a canal. It was incredible. You know, they, had, they also had that was good in uh, Venice, Jesse? What's that? A chain restaurant. It was like somebody's dream, somebody's Shark Tank dream to launch a new fast food restaurant where they boiled fresh pasta on demand and then served it in a cup with your choice of sauces. And it was pretty good. I have to say the pasta was, you know, fresh pasta is great. The sauces are pretty good. And the best part about it was the name of the place, Past Food. <laughs> yeah, so that rules. Dumb. Past Food. Oh, well. Anyway, Jared, yeah. Scissors are great. What else can you use scissors for in the kitchen, Jesse? I mean, haircuts. Yeah, that's right. I completely forgot about haircuts. The final step in the traditional making of a tableside Caesar salad. <laughs> that's how they do it at the Dalray here in Southern California. Yeah, that's right. The owner of the restaurant comes out and gives you a little haircut. Yep. Takes a big wooden bowl, rubs it all over with a fresh cut garlic clove. The other thing is it's important to squish the anchovy with a mortar, mortar and pestle. Yeah, you got to mortar and pest the anchovy. You got to put in a raw egg, fresh black pepper, freshly grated Parmesan cheese. I think that's in a Caesar salad. Let's say it is. Yeah. Then all the waiters come around. They sing, snip, 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 snip. <laughs> and I don't remember, Jesse. Who gets the haircut? The youngest person at the table. The youngest person at the table. They sit back in their chair, and it's like getting your hair washed at the at the hairdresser. But instead of putting your head over the sink, it like it tilts back into the bowl, the salad bowl. Bingo. And you just get a little haircut snip, a little a little bowl cut. It's called this is the origin of the bowl cut. Did you know that? That's where the term comes from. Oh, I did not know that, but yeah. I can see it. They're also at the Delray famous for their pepper stick. What's the pepper steak at the Delray Steakhouse? It's a steak. It's a, a ribeye. Yeah. Um, nicely, a prime steak, nicely marbled and aged. And then mm-hmm. they cover it in pepper mm-hmm. and a little bit of arm hair. <laughs> Which is the one that has the leg shavings, the leg hair shavings? Oh, that's the Clams Casino. Oh, this is really gross. I don't want to talk about yeah. this anymore. So believe it or not, I when I when I came up with arm hair, I had an even grosser specific in mind. I bet you did. <laughs> but there are children listening, so we'll just say butt hair. <laughs> You're welcome, parents. Enjoy the rest of your drive. Let's take a quick break. More items on the docket coming up in just a minute on the Judge John Hodgman podcast. Back for another game. You know it. What's going on? 
Just one more week till Max Fun Drive. <laughs> Hard to believe. It's been a heck of a year since the last one. We're now a worker-owned co-op. We raised $50,000 for charity last year. And we've added a bunch of awesome new shows. But do you think we're ready to do it again? Absolutely. Lovely new gifts are lined up. The episodes will be amazing. And wait till everyone hears the bonus content. Yeah, plus they know to go to MaximumFun.org newsletter, so they're getting all the news. Oh, like that meetup day is on Thursday, March 21st. Then what's bothering you? Me? Oh, nothing. We're all set for Max Fun Drive to start on Monday, March 18th. I just didn't want you to see this coming. Check. What? Hang on! Most of the plants humans eat are technically grass. Most of the asphalt we drive on is almost a liquid. The formula of WD-40 is San Diego's greatest secret. Zippers were invented by a Swedish immigrant love story. On the podcast Secretly Incredibly Fascinating, we explore this type of amazing stuff. Stuff about ordinary topics like cabbage and batteries and socks. Topics you'd never expect to be the title of the podcast. Secretly Incredibly Fascinating. Find us by searching for the word secretly in your podcast app. And at MaximumFun.org. Hey, everybody. It's your judge, John Hodgman. Um, recently, we had a great docket episode uh, with the incredible Travel Anderson as guest bailiff, uh, co-host of the great Maximum Fun podcast, Fanti, which you should take a listen to. Um, but it, it was a podcast that, uh, that prompted some letters. We often get some. But we did get a few letters around one particular case. This was between Andrea and her husband, Shane. Uh, Shane likes to tickle Andrea. Andrea doesn't like it. And even when she tells him to not do it, he tries to still do it. And Travell and I both endeavored to make very clear that this was not okay. That as with any question of touching another person's body, full and complete consent should be sought. And if it is not given, or if you are told to stop tickling someone, stop it. Stop it, Shane. Uh, we had a lot of conversation around that very serious uh, message, but more than a few listeners felt that that message got a little lost in the conversation. So just to, to in, in thanks to the listeners who wrote in and to, and to honor their concern, I just wanted to reiterate that. Shane, stop tickling Andrea. Don't touch another person's body without consent. All right, let's get back to the case. Welcome back to the Judge John Hodgman podcast. We are clearing the docket this week. Jesse, have you ever have you ever been in an abandoned hospital or like research facility? <laughs> no, I can't say I have. I have been. I have been because acting sometimes happens in them. Sure. And, you know, I'm the star of the Tina Fey movie, Baby Mama. <laughs> yeah. We did, we did a, long, a long sequence in which uh, Amy Poehler supposedly is giving birth and we had to go, you know, three hours out of town to find an abandoned hospital to shoot this thing. And it was the most terrifying day of my life, wandering around these empty surgical operating theaters. But then on the, the, the beloved and late and lamented The Tick, we worked at, uh, in 2018, Griffin Newman and I and Peter Serafinowicz, we all did a bunch of days and an abandoned, I think it was an abandoned Pfizer lab. 
And there were, it was just like floors and floors of empty laboratories with the most bizarre signage on the creepiest doors. So there would just be this, this deadpan sign that's, that just would say cold room. And then there would be a sign. I just took so many pictures when I was there and I just found them in my phone thinking of this. There's a sign where it's just this panel and there are one, two, three, four, five options. Each one has an, a, a, an emergency light that could be illuminated. And the options were alarm, audible silence, audible silence. That was an alarm. Supervisory means nothing. And then security. But none of those were illuminated. Do you know, do you know which one was illuminated? What was illuminated, John? It just said trouble. <laughs> right here in River City? Yeah, right here in River City. That's why you need this big DLT. How do they spell trouble? Was it all lowercase? No, it starts with a capital T, and that rhymes with P. And that stands for proceed. <laughs> uh, so David asks, which side of the road is the proper side to walk on when there's no sidewalk? I live in Altadena, California. It's a quasi-rural suburban part of Los Angeles where there are almost no sidewalks. I was taught as a child that if you're walking in the road, you walk against traffic on the left-hand side so that you can see the cars coming at you. I notice almost everyone else around walks with the traffic on the right side of the road. The issue now is staying six feet apart from people. If I'm walking on the left side and someone's walking towards me, who should cross the street to maintain distance? I just became a father, so I'm pushing a stroller. It doesn't feel safe to push the stroller back and forth across the street. Should I abandon my childhood training and just walk with the traffic? First of all, John, before you get into the answer to this, I just yeah. want to give a shout out to Altadena, California. One of my kids goes to elementary school in Altadena, California, or does when elementary schools exist. Uh, and I just want to give a shout out to a couple of my favorite Altadena, California businesses, Waliba Hat Company and McGinty's Gallery at the end of the world. Uh, that's, just, that's just for my Altadena people. What is the hat company called? Wooly, the hat company? Walima. It's, oh. it's run by my friend Cody Walima. W-E-L-L-E-M-A. He makes hats. That sounds awesome. What kind of hats does he make? Beautiful ones. He's a real hatter. Oh. And then the other, the other place, the gallery at the end of the world? It's a combination antique store and art gallery, and it's run by my friend Ben. They're on the same block right there in Altadena, California. And how can you have a curbside brick and mortar store if they don't have any sidewalks in Altadena? Is this person- it is a commercial it's a commercial block. So there okay. are some there are some, but the residential streets, he's they're absolutely right. And this was terrifying to me because, you know, my my son's school has a curbside drop off, mm -hmm. but um but you can only do that once your once your kid is, you know, in first grade, maybe, let's say. So right. you have to walk your kindergartner in uh, because otherwise they'll just space out and wander away from the school. Mm -hmm. Sure. And parking in the neighborhood. That's, their, that's, a, that's a kindergartner's job. Space out yeah. and walk away. <laughs> and parking in the neighborhood and walking my son into his school uh, was, to me, a city dweller who's used to the mean streets of San Francisco and Los Angeles, absolutely terrifying. Right. To be in this, in this bucolic suburb <laughs> was and, horrifying to me. 
Yeah, no, I mean, uh, there are very few sidewalks here in Maine. And, uh, and, and yet people do need to walk along them, these roads, to get to where they're going. What is the rule of thumb in your growing up, Jesse, in terms of walking in the road? Right? You just, you just aim for the center double yellow lines and walk straight down that, right? No, you can make kind of an S-curve, like evasive maneuver style. Oh, So right. you're swerving into the different lanes, keeping everybody on notice. Got it, got it, got it. That, that way to avoid snipers. <laughs> yeah. My sincere experience is, uh, while certainly I have heard the, you should walk on the left-hand side to face the traffic or ride your bike on the left-hand side to face the traffic, uh, from people who are excited to tell you about a counterintuitive thing. <laughs> uh, generally, my experience has been that people walk on the right-hand side. That, Jesse, I... You know, it may just be a regional difference, but Joel Mann here in Maine, do you walk with traffic or against traffic? I don't like to walk. I know. <laughs> but let me put it this way. When you're driving and you see a pedestrian. I honk my horn. To yeah, I, okay. I know. I know. <laughs> but in which direction do you honk? Straight ahead of you or off into the other lane? I'll do it both ways. What do you see out there in the roads, Joel? Deer, moose. Okay, that's enough. Shut it down. <laughs> Shut it down. Joel. Yes, Judge. What are the other community-supported free-form radio stations in this area? Or is this the only one? Stephen King has one that's pretty... Stephen King has a radio station? Yeah, yeah, he does. Maybe a couple. Uh, yeah. Yeah, broadcast from the basement of an abandoned <laughs> hospital. <on laughs> yes, a couple radio stations, like James Brown in the 70s? Yeah, he has a, a sports station, a, a alternative station, and a classic rock station. No nightmare creature station. <laughs> <laughs> Does the classic rock station only play songs by the Rock Bottom Remainders, the cover band that he has with <laughs> all of his author friends? No, no, oh, no. You know, John, my late friend and mentor, Kathy Kamen Goldmark, founded that band. Really? Yeah, and I got to meet Amy Tan and Dave Barry and right. many of the other members of that novelty band that played at book conventions for charity, featuring lots of famous authors and my friend Kathy Kamen Goldmark. That's right. Dave Barry, Stephen King, Amy Tan, Ridley Pearson, Scott Turo, Mitch Album, Roy Blunt Jr., Barbara Kingsolver, <laughs> and honorary member Maya Angelou. Yeah. Maya Angelou was, was homies with my friend... Kathy, and she said, Kathy told me this really great Maya Angelou story one time, which was Maya Angelou was calling in to one of those psychic hotlines. This is in the 90s when psychic hotlines were really big. I, I hope I'm not besmirching the memory of, of the great Maya Angelou by telling this story, but mm. it's a good one. So she, was, she would call in to psychic hotlines all the time. And Kathy was like, Maya, why are you, like, you're an educated woman. <laughs> you know, you have 75 honorary doctorates. Why are you calling in to psychic hotlines? And Maya Angelou said in her, like, Maya Angelou voice, like, well, Kathy, um, she said, the first time I called, they, they said to me before I'd introduced myself, uh, I'd only said my problems. Uh, well, Maya, uh, we think you have this situation. And so I know that they're really psychic. And Kathy said, do you think on the telephone there's anything distinctive about you, Maya Angelou? <laughs> 
You think all those call-in psychics were tuned into Maya Angelou's voice? I think so. After she did the inauguration for Bill Clinton and everything. Yeah, but I Amy Tan in the Rock Bottom Remainders would dress up in full leather with like thigh-high boots and do these boots are made for walking with a whip. Amy Tan was a cool lady. Is a cool lady. Yeah, absolutely. They played their last concert in 2012 at the Animal Conference of the American Library Association. And they also did a gig on the Late Late Show with Craig Ferguson. The Rock Bottom Remainders. Stephen King said, there's an audience out there and the key is to kick it in the, well, this is a, this is a family non-averse podcast. So I'll say, there's an audience out there and the key is to kick it in the butt hair. <laughs> I'll tell you, I have, I have one other Rock Bottom Remainders anecdote, which is that's family friendly. I had no idea what door this was going to open in your mind. I'm excited to see what is falling out of the hall closet of your mind at this moment. Go. But this is very family friendly. So uh, Kathy was romantically involved with Sam Barry, who also worked on the radio show that I worked on with both of them. And uh, Sam is Dave Barry's brother. He's a really yeah. lovely man and a minister, actually, a harmonica playing minister. Yeah. And uh, and so Dave Barry would be around sometimes, either as a guest on the show or just because he was visiting his family and he was hanging out. And if anyone like me, you know, spent the late 80s and early 90s reading Dave Barry books and wondering if anyone could be so pleasant and gentle, a funny dad, as Dave Barry appeared to be, the answer is yes. Real life Dave Barry is just exactly like that. He's just a really lovely, pleasant man. Oh, nice. Yeah, he's so sweet and such a, such a dad goof. And uh, just at everything everything you would hope he would be from Harry Anderson's iconic portrayal on Dave's World. <laughs> I, you know, I, 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 I do almost anything. I'm looking forward to a time when there are concerts again. I'd love to see these Rock Bonder remainders play again. But I guess the point I'm saying, like Stephen King has radio stations, Joel? That's correct, Judge. With recording facilities? I've never visited one. I was say, why, why am I here when I could be when I could be doing the night shift at W KIT KIT is that what it is that's his rock classic rock station yeah oh King Industries Telecom something like that he's uh, very good to us though we work with him oh okay yeah well, you guys it's all it's all it's it's like uh it's like the two-party system up here well, there we, is no there is no difference between them. It's all you're all one organization. On, we had a all the independent radio. It's an independent radio mafia. That's it. Yeah. I can't get out of this situation. Yeah. There's nowhere else for me to go. I'm locked in. No, you couldn't go up there. All right. I guess I'm going to have to continue to record here, even though you were very unhelpful to me just then. Just say, you know what I'm asking you, Joel. What side of the road do people walk on when they're walking down the road in Maine? Against traffic or with traffic? I'd say against. Against traffic. Yeah, yeah. yeah. Or I, with it, one or the other. Okay, that's all right. Thanks. Thanks a lot, Joel. I would say that it is more... Con Let me say this. I agree with David that I was also brought up to believe that when you are walking on a sidewalkless road for pleasure exercise or mere transportation from point A to B. That you walk against traffic, obviously far to the to the left of the road, so that you will see cars and and make way for them. And they will see you. 
And I think that that is the right way to do it. I did not know in Altadena. I don't know why they're doing this in Altadena. And I think that it's a problem because there was one time when we're my wife and I were walking on these main roads and a car was coming and I crossed to the other side to get out of its way. But my wife did the right thing and just moved off to the side of the road and the driver slowed down and yelled at both of us, pick a side. <laughs> so I think that consistency is the critical issue here. You don't want to be presenting a surprise to drivers. And while I don't think right, walking on the right-hand side of the road with traffic is, is safer, in fact, I think it's less safe than walking against traffic, even though walking against traffic is scary. It's all scary. If it is the regional custom that people are walking on the right-hand side, I think you should join join that crew. And I think, you know, don't wear headphones. So you, a, a car can't sneak up behind you. Maybe mount a, a, a rear-view mirror on your stroller. I'm sure those exist. Or mount a, a GoPro on your shoulder facing backwards that feeds directly to you, your phone that you mount. I don't know. Just make sure make sure you've got your back covered. And as to your social distancing question, David, this will also solve the same problem. If the custom is to walk on the right-hand side, you you walk with the flow and people won't be coming towards you and you won't be having to get out of their way. Anyway, you slice it, however, it sounds terrifying. Altadena sounds terrifying, Jesse. Is it terrifying? No, it's dope. Right. Shout out to... Hughes Estate Sales, my man Todd Hughes. Shout out to the Party Masters. That's just a storefront that I see all the time. I think there's no one works there anymore, but it says that they have records and tapes, but I've never seen it open. That sounds like a fun parking lot to spend the night in. Heck yeah. Let's kick it at Party Masters. <laughs> Party Masters sounds great. Here's something from Kate. I've started listening to the podcast, Election Profit Makers. Yay. Shout out to David and Starley and all them. And have joined the betting site they use, Predict It. I'm considering betting on Trump and a small assortment of other Republican candidates, though I'm a Democrat. My rationalization is this. I work many hours volunteering for Democratic campaigns in groups like Fair Fight 2020. We contribute many dollars to these causes as well. If Biden loses the election, I'll be devastated beyond words. I want just a small silver lining. My husband thinks this is a terrible idea. He says, I'm betting against everything good and right. Any winnings would be dirty money. Heath also thinks it's a jinx. Am I wrong here? Should I put all my money where my mouth is and go full blue? Hmm. Yeah, so for those of you who don't know, Election Profit Makers is a podcast that is made by our, our friends and colleagues, Starley Kine, David Reese, and David's uh, old friend uh, from Chapel Hill, John Kimball. John Kimball is uh, not only a guy who socked away a nest egg squatting on domain names in the 90s, true story, incredible, got to listen to the special Election Profit Makers about the go-go days of registering homework.com only to get a lot of money for it later. But also he's really into this website called predictit.org, which is, you've, you've probably read about it. It's the kind of virtual stock market like betting or investment website where you are not investing in financial outcomes, but political outcomes. So 
you might set up an account with 20 bucks and invest 20, you know, buy 20 shares of, and a market might be, will Donald Trump be the next president? And if you feel that outcome is good, you could buy yes at whatever the market is selling that for with your $20 and buy X number of shares and then sell them later if the price goes up or dump them if the price goes down. And Election Profit Makers is a great podcast about that. It's a lot of fun. I just listened to an episode today. I encourage you to check it out. But it comes up quite a bit as to whether you are going to treat your portfolio as an analysis of, of people's shifting political fortunes and you're making bets based on what you think are likely outcomes in order to make money and have the pleasure of guessing correctly or whether you're going to use it as they call it as a wishing well. Like, I really don't want this person to be the next governor, so I'm going to, I'm going to put all of my money in no and hope that that outcome will happen. Both approaches are, are fine. I mean, it's your money. Uh, and I appreciate, I mean, I get why Kate's husband feels hinky about investing in a presidential candidate that he does not want to win. It feels like you're, it feels like a vote. It feels like you're rooting for the, for a side you dislike. But I disagree with Kate's husband in the magical thinking that somehow the way Kate invests her money in this hobby stock market is going to affect the outcome in any way. I went back, I was thinking about this lately. Like I, I always knew that I was going to vote for Barack Obama, uh, both before and after the primary. I was never going to vote for John McCain in 2008 for all kinds of reasons, because of my core values. And yet, you know, I joined with a lot of Americans in feeling that aside from some very, very serious policy You're listening to Judge John Hodgman. I'm bailiff Jesse Thorne. Of course, the Judge John Hodgman podcast always brought to you by you, the members of MaximumFun.org. Thanks to everybody who's gone to MaximumFun.org slash join. And you can join them by going to MaximumFun.org. .org/join. The Judge John Hodgman podcast is also brought to you this week by Aura. A U R A. It's a simple but meaningful gift that you can give your mom or your dad or your step-grandparent or your uncle or your friend or anyone that you want to keep connected in your life who might not live near you. It's a digital picture frame from Aura. It's perfect for sharing pics of all the things that those friends can't be there for, from family vacations to grandkids' graduation to whatever. I have one of these, and I got one for my dad, and I got one for my mother-in-law, and it's amazing. We look at the photos all day long, and we're able to easily update their aura frames so they see all the latest pictures from our lives as well. It comes with unlimited storage, simple controls on the frame, you can upload as many photos as you want, and your mom or your dad or your stepdad or your stepmom or your friend or whatever can pick the perfect one. And it takes only about two minutes to set up. Seriously. See why it was named the number one digital frame by Wirecutter, uh, The Strategist, and Wired Magazine. Right now, you can save on the perfect gift that keeps on giving by visiting AuraFrames.com. For a limited time, listeners can get $20 off their best-selling frame 
with code Hodgman. That's A-U-R-A frames.com, promo code Hodgman. Terms and conditions apply. The Judge John Hodgman podcast is also brought to you this week by Babbel. Okay, it's 2024. Oh, if hindsight were 2020, I I don't know what I would have done differently. All I know is that I'm taking every day in this year and trying to get better a little bit every day. That's what you do. That's the way progress is made, step-by-step, day-by-day, bird-by-bird. And that's the way it is when you're learning anything, especially a new language with Babbel. And if Babbel can help you start speaking language in just three weeks, imagine what you could do in the rest of this whole year. Don't pay hundreds of dollars to private tutors or waste hours on apps that don't really help you speak the language. Babbel's quick 10-minute lessons are handcrafted by over 200 language experts, real human beings, to help you start speaking a new language in as little as one, two, three weeks. Studies from Michigan State University, Yale University, and others continue to prove that Babbel is better. And that's not just the Yale football team putting their thumb on the scale because they love learning Indonesian from Babbel. One study found that using Babbel for 15 hours is equivalent to a full semester at college. Take that, Yale, I guess. Here's a special limited time deal for our listeners. Right now, get 55% off your Babbel subscription, but this is only for our listeners at babbel.com slash Hodgman. Disputes and, in my, in my feeling, immoral choices that he made in terms of public policy. I join with a lot of Americans feeling like he seems like he seems like an okay cranky grandpa who could probably be uh, an okay president. But then I realized I, I, that was not true because he was talking about how when he, you know, he had won the New Hampshire primary in the year 2000, lost the, uh, the nomination to George W. Bush. In 2008, he made a big point about carrying a lucky feather with him throughout the day on the New Hampshire primary day because that was the same lucky feather he had in his pocket when he won the primary before. And I had a lot of problems with this. One, what kind of, what's a lucky feather? If you want a luck charm, lucky coin, lucky rabbit's foot, kind of gross, but it's a thing. No one has a lucky feather. That's weird. You see, a feather is like something you want to just flick off your fingers. Two, this world is not ruled by magic. I don't want, I don't want a president who believes, who is superstitious, who believes in magic. This world is ruled by some, a, a much more terrifying and awesome power, which is chaos, barely shifting in certain broad directions over generations not by incantations, but by hard work among groups of dedicated people. Kate's betting on Donald Trump in the predicted fake stock market is not a jinx. That's not going to affect anything. And similarly, the winnings would not be cursed money because there's no such thing as a curse. Kate's trying to protect herself emotionally if, if her candidate, Joe Biden, and I, and I can say, though others on this podcast cannot state their political affiliations, I can say, personally speaking only for myself, Joe Biden is my chosen candidate. Surprise! But if Joe Biden were to not win the election, 
it would be a small consolation to win 25 bucks off and predict it. But at least Kate will know, oh, I made this I made this bet to console myself early on. But the most important thing is that not only does Kate get to spend her money however she wants to spend it, Kate's husband, but also Kate's husband, the only thing that's going to jinx, quote unquote, the outcome of this election is you, Kate, all of us not doing everything we can to work for the outcome that we want. I mean, there's no magic to this fake phony stock market. There's no magic in this world. There's only the effort that we put in. That will affect the outcome. Not Kate's phony baloney investment. I rule in favor of Kate, obviously. And just remind everyone that as of this recording, we're some 95 plus days out from election day, which will happen on November 3rd, no matter what. I guarantee it. I'm going to make a bet. I'm going to make a bet on predicted right now. I'm going to win big. Everyone's worried that it's going to be delayed. Can't be. It's not going to be delayed. It's not going to be delayed. There's no time to do the legislation. Let's just keep doing the work as we go towards that day. Work for your candidates. Work for your issues. Walk in the streets masked and safely in protest of injustice and indecency. Do the work. Don't bother Kate about her, her fun secret investing portfolio. Do the work. Sorry. Uh, you know, I'm an NPR host. I, I don't have any opinions about politics. And also, I kind of spaced out. I was betting $100,000 on the Los Angeles Dodgers to win the World Series. <laughs> it's going to come true. I just want to have a little silver lining. Yeah, yeah, yeah. No, I do need to clarify that when I say superstition is pointless and there's no magic in the world. I meant specifically the world of politics in the world of sports. There's only magic. Yeah. yeah well, Abs- I mean, absolutely. Well, I wouldn't yeah. be wearing this colorful magnetic necklace if it weren't true. <laughs> I, mean, I mean, technically that's science. Yeah. I know that the Pittsburgh Penguins lost to the other hockey team on that one hockey game that I ever went to because I put on my Hartford Whalers hat. I know that I caused that to happen. I disappointed a stadium half full of Pittsburgh fans because I changed my hat. I know it. So, yeah, uh, uh, Kate's husband, you go, go bring your superstition where it counts. Bring your, bring your spells and your curses and your hopes and your wishes and your jinxes over to sports. Let's take a quick break. When we come back, we'll hear a case about grocery lists and an update from the litigants of episode 402, Double Histaminer. Welcome back to the Judge John Hodgman podcast. We're clearing the docket this week, and here is something from Dave. My partner Kara and I take turns grocery shopping. We use an app on our phones to update a shared grocery list. It's a digital checklist where each line item has a checkbox next to it. When you check the box, the line disappears. Dave, I prefer Dave, input. you don't need to explain it to me. I use this thing too. This is awesome. Go. I prefer to input my items one per line so that they can be checked off as they go in the cart. Kara prefers to list multiple items on one line that pertain to a recipe. A single line input of hers will read smoothie stuff, pineapple, kale, carrots, bananas, Uh, etc., and so on. uh. 
Who is using the checklist correctly? Who's driving their partner insane when they pull up the shared list at the store and have to stand awkwardly by the money cheese island for 10 minutes, separating out all the recipe items into their own individual lines? Dave, you're correct. Kara, you're wrong. That's easy. Next question. Yeah, that one's bananas. That one's not just bananas. It's pineapple, kale, carrots, bananas. Look, uh, there is a way within... I know the app that you're talking about. And I'm going to tell you right now, it's an Apple product. And I'm happy to advertise for it or any Apple products. For any reason, call me Apple. I want to be... I want to come back. But you don't have to... You can create subheadings within that app. And if I were you, I would show Kara how to do it or spend some time, as I might do, reorganizing the whole list in order of where you're going to encounter this stuff in the store. Just spend some time with the desktop version of the app to make sure to separate all that stuff out. Because Kara's never going to change. I can tell you Kara's never going to change. She thinks she's making a shopping list the, the old way. This is the new way, Kara. So we have something from Britain from uh, episode 402, Double Histamine. This was a uh, this was an allergy related yes, case, right. as I recall, a, a couple with some significant allergies. Well, in, in Britain, I think in particular, had some cat and avocado allergies. <laughs> the classic combo. <laughs> yep, it's called Britain's Dyad. Classically presents allergic to both cats and avocados. So what's going on with them? Hi, Mr. Judge and Mr. Bailiff. This is Britain. And Jackson. From the double histamine episode. We just wanted to send an update to you guys because Jackson and I ended up adopting a puppy about a month ago. His name is Archie. He's named kind of ironically, but mostly unironically, after Riverdale star K.J. Appa's rendition of Archie from the Archie comics. He's a perfect little Australian cattle mix that can jump higher than Britain. He would definitely eat a cat if one ever crossed his path. And besides that, my allergies have gotten exponentially worse, uh, so we definitely won't be adopting a cat anytime soon. Hope you all are doing well and staying safe with everything going on in this weird reality. Uh, They've sent in some photographs of Archie, some adorable photographs of Archie. What a beautiful pup. And a a real doofus. (laughs) He's got a real doofus face. Uh, it's immensely charming to me. I know it's not my job to la- laugh at animal pictures on this podcast, but this is a delight. <laughs> yeah. dog. Uh, these will be on our Instagram at Instagram.com slash Judge John Hodgman. Oh, man. Look at this guy. Look at those beautiful eyes. Okay. The docket's clear. That's it for another episode of Judge John Hodgman. Our producer is Jennifer Marmer. You can follow us on Twitter at Jesse Thorne and at Hodgman. We're on Instagram at Judge John Hodgman. Make sure to hashtag your Judge John Hodgman tweets, hashtag JJHO, and check out the MaxFun subreddit to discuss this week's episode. Submit your cases at MaximumFun.org slash JJHO, or you can email Hodgman at MaximumFun.org. We'll talk to you next time on the Judge John Hodgman podcast. MaximumFun.org. Comedy and culture. Artist owned. Audience supported.